Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of the Jew Perspective podcast. Now, this is the first episode, and I am very new to podcasting, working with video and audio equipment. I'm learning. I'm trying to figure everything out. This is not easy. This was a pilot kind of test episode, and things went wrong. A couple things with the audio, a couple things with the lighting. The camera stopped recording after 30 minutes of the episode, which means... After 30 minutes, there's no more. So luckily for you, it's a shorter episode. This is with my friend Avi Roberts, and we kind of dive into what and who the Jews are. Now, as time progresses, there will be a lot better equipment, a lot better you know, audio. I'll kind of learn everything. But for now, please bear with me. I know, I know it's a little rough to start out with, as most things are. But I hope you enjoy, and thank you for watching. Alrighty, welcome everybody to the A Jew Perspective podcast. My name is Dylan Vermeer. This is the pilot episode, so we are going to kick off with a very good friend of mine, Rabbi Avi Roberts. He is a rabbi here in St. Louis. He runs an organization with his wife, Shani, called Ignite Young Professionals, which is um, spreading Torah and Jewish concepts to young people in the St. Louis area. So I want to thank him. Big round of applause out there for Rabbi Avi because you're a great friend of mine and I really appreciate you being my test subject for this, so to say. So, it's my pleasure. So how about you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit who you are, what you do, your upbringing. Yeah, so uh, my name's Avi Roberts. Um, you know, I guess uh, there's different ways to define me, if you will. Um, from 9 to 5, currently I, I work for Merrill Lynch as a financial solutions advisor. That's, that's what I do, you know, for work. Um, for volunteer time, I guess, if you will, um, I volunteer for Ignite YP, which is the organization that I started together with my wife. Now my wife is the director, and I'm just, I guess you can call it the senior educator. I don't like calling myself senior. I don't like the feeling of that. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's my passion to try and spread the depth and the concepts of Judaism to as many Jews as possible. And the focus with Ignite YP is definitely... Jewish young professionals, 20s and 30s. And what made you want to start this organization? That's a very good question. So um, if you would have asked me, I don't know, 10 years ago, do you think I would have been doing this? I wouldn't have guessed yes. Um, we originally moved here for me to try and um, work in the show in New City Show. I was the program director. Um, we saw there was a need for Jewish young professionals. When I say we, I mean a very interesting partnership of the show a campus organization run by Rabbi Doron Lazarus, who was catered to undergrads. And we saw that there was a need to do something for young professionals, you know, for people who are graduate school and a little bit after that. And together with the shul and what was called JLE back then, um, we started. Eventually, the shul wasn't involved. Eventually, JLE left town. Um, so we rebranded as Ignite YP. So um, I don't know if I planned to do exactly this, but I always did want to teach. It worked out. Yeah, I mean, everything works out. Hashem has a plan whether you uh, want to do it or not. So either you jump along for the ride or you fight it yeah. for no reason. That's so true. All right, so this podcast is called A Jew Perspective. And a few weeks ago for Shavuos, we talked about who the Jews are, what makes somebody Jewish, not an ethnicity, not a race, not a religion, this weird anomaly of an ancient nomadic people, and I'd like you to revisit that and kind of explain, because you, you do say things in a very eloquent way, which it's hard for me to kind of 
spit that back out. So we could revisit that and kind of just talk about who Jews are, what makes somebody Jewish, and then we'll go on to some Jewish concepts and Jewish beliefs. Yeah, yeah. So what is a Jew is the question you want to answer, yeah. which is, I, I think, a very good question for a podcast called uh, A Jew Perspective. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Jew Perspective, what's a Jew? So a lot of people um, don't know the answer to this question. A lot of people do know the answer to this question, but they're uncomfortable with it. So let me explain it to you. Um, A Jew is not a a race of people um, because there are Jews with all sorts of racial backgrounds. There are white Jews, there are black Jews, there are brown Jews, sort of everything in between. there's probably a Jew from every nationality at some point, you know, somewhere. We've been around to many places. There are people who have been converted from many different nations. Jews are definitely not, you know, a DNA type. Maybe you could find some common genes, but they're definitely not a DNA type. Um, oftentimes, people like to define Jews as, you know, people who shared a set of experiences. But that's, that definition is really, again, not true. Because, you know, you think about, um, you know, an Ashkenazi Jew, somebody with a background from Europe, um, versus a Sephardi Jew, someone with a background from, you know, the Middle East. And, and they've had very different experiences in the past several, several hundred years. So the Jews are not a race, not a people who share a common background. And the simple answer you might think, well, maybe Jew is a religion. Well, there is a religion called Judaism, but you are a Jew even if you don't follow the religion of Judaism. Um, we had a very painful reminder of that in recent history with the Holocaust, you know? They wanted to kill anyone who was Jewish, regardless of uh, how affiliated they felt to their Jewish roots. So, it really defines, you know, brings us back to the question of defining the simple question. So what is a Jew? So what is a Jew? So, the answer is simple yet profound. The Jews are the group of people, a nation, that was given the Torah at Sinai. There's a lot that comes with that. There's a lot of promises that come with that. There's a lot of realities that come with that. It's a very, very spiritual reality and yet a very, very technical thing, which is if you were there, or none of us were there, but the people who were there at the Sinai experience, that experience was like a conversion of that group of people who left Egypt, whoever was there, became Jewish. And then either you're born to a Jewish mother or you are converting to Judaism, which is the similar processes to what the Jewish nation as a whole went through when they stood at Sinai. So that's what makes you a Jew. So the answer is you technically, what is a Jew? Somebody who technically fits in to the continuity of the nation, the group of people that stood at Sinai and received the Torah, which then brings about many implications. What are some of those implications? Yeah, I mean... Obligations to fulfill... There's obligations. Yeah, there's obligations. There's um, expectations. There's potential. There's promises. Some of them are pretty rosy, and some of them are pretty uh, bleak and dreary. You know, we're promised exile too, not just redemption. So, Exile from... Well, there's a whole story of the Jewish people, and that could be a whole other podcast (laughs) on its own if you want to. We'll we'll have you back on. You could have any rabbi for this. you know, there's the history of the Jewish people. We left Egypt, we went to Israel, we built a temple, it was destroyed, we were exiled, built another temple. You know, 
I'm making this many years sound very simple. This is the very condensed version of thousands of years. Then the second temple is destroyed, you know, by the Romans, and we've been from place to place to place in exile ever since. So this is, this, this is a people that have a story. And there's a technical reality to being part of it, which is either you choose to be part of it as a convert, or most Jews, I would say, um, don't choose to be part of it. That's just the reality. That's right. who they are. So people who are born Jewish, do you feel like they have a responsibility to fulfill the commandments in the Torah? Do, or is it like um, when people say we are the chosen people, we're chosen to fulfill these commandments, we're chosen because we're special? What's, what's your take on that? I've heard, so, yeah, heard there's... a couple different opinions and I've... I wanted to get what your Yes, yeah, so that's a great question. Um, there are actually a few questions within your question. Yeah. So let's, let's break it down to the different questions. Um, question number one, which you sort of asked, is do you believe that as a Jew you're obligated to follow the Torah? Mm -hmm. um, the answer is yes, but God isn't an idiot. So let me explain what I mean. Yeah. Um, God did give us the Torah, and he did tell us to do it. It's a commandment. It's, it's a commitment we made. We committed to doing it, and therefore we do have to do it. Um, now, most Jews um, grow up either not knowing what the commandments are, or even if they have a semblance of what the commandments are, they were raised to believe that the commandments are options. Right. You know? Um, and God understands the circumstances that people go through. And, uh, you know, to say that everyone's commanded isn't in this condemning way where it's like, oh, you know, everyone's commanded to do it, and so most Jews don't, so, you know... Here comes the devil and to hell with you all. That's, that's you know, not the way we think about things. Um, but it does, it does give us a, a sort of sense of mission that, that this is something that can enhance the lives of, of every Jew, all these commandments. Mm -hmm. um, and that is part of, you know, what I'm passionate about, which is not just telling people you are commanded to do this, but explaining to them how the realities of this commitment actually do make their life something better. So that's, that's one question you sort of asked. Yeah. You know, um, the other question you asked, which is a, is a completely different question, related, but, but has a completely different sort of subtopic that it goes into, which is the question about um, being the chosen people. The chosen people is not a good definition for the Jewish people, mm -hmm. okay? Um, a more correct definition would be the people that chose, mm. okay? Which means we are not who we are because... God just pulled somebody out of the hat. Actually, the world was sort of open for anyone to really choose it, and this is discussed more at length, um, you know, by the Ramchal and Derech Hashem, that's a fascinating author, great book, everyone should read that at some point. It's discussed at length a lot more there. But the bottom line, simplest way to say this in, in a few short words, is that our forefather, Avraham, if you know Abraham, really chose to follow God, and anybody could have made that choice. And... As a nation as a whole, we chose to follow God when we stood at Sinai and received the Torah. So we're the nation that chose, and that's why we're chosen. We chose to bear the responsibility of being the moral compass for the world. So that's sort of, in the simplest words, defining what it means that we're the chosen people. Wow. I, I've never heard that before. That's really it's a new uh, a new perspective. Instead of yeah, perspective. yeah. Well, it's a new energy perspective. Yeah. So um, basically, going into what Jewish people believe in in terms of mitzvahs, which are the commandments in the Torah. Um, some people I've heard call commandment or mitzvah a good deed, a commandment. But in 
in a way it means connect. And so by doing these commandments, you connect with God. Correct. Uh, could you elaborate on that and kind of go into Jews believe that there's 613 commandments, but you're doing them to connect with God. What, what do you get? What do you give? What is, what is all that? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of, there's a lot, again, a lot of questions. The surface. It's not, yes. you don't have to go too deep, yes. but I'd love to just get a, I mean, if you want to have a six hour podcast, we can definitely go through everything we'll that you just discussed. From, when I get back from Israel. When you get back from up. Israel. Well, maybe you'll give it when you get back from Israel. Oh. But anyway, I guess the simplest thing that I want to talk to, you know, in, in regards to that question. Judaism is about a relationship. It's about a relationship with God. God is not a human being. Um, mm -hmm. So our relationships with other people are included in what we mean when we talk about our relationship with God. It includes our relationship with the world, our relationship with other people, our relationship with ourselves, maybe most profoundly, um, and really our relationship with morality is sort of all what we mean when we talk about the relationship with God. These commandments are ramifications. Ramifications is the wrong word. Let's scratch that. These commandments are guidelines. Hmm. Guidelines and a structure for how to build that connection. Um, and marriage is actually a parable, which our sages use a lot, to explain you know, what Judaism is in terms of our relationship with God. So the same way there's a structure to marriage, um, one can theoretically follow that structure and miss the core of love within a relationship. One could theoretically follow all the mitzvahs. Now, some of them, not really, but okay, let's just say theoretically. Follow all the commandments and sort of miss that relationship. Not be connected to the source of the world, God, the source of morality, God. And one of the main ways we connect to God, which is actually through other people and through connecting to ourselves. So somebody can follow all the commandments and miss all of that. So the commandments are not the beginning and end. Judaism is about growing in our connection with God, and the commandments are sort of the guideline for how that works. Now, that's easy to say in one sentence. Right. When you come to each commandment, you have to figure that out. So that's part of the beauty and the vast sea of studying Torah. So something I've been asked, and I kind of know the answer, but it's hard to explain is when people say okay why does god care why you keep kosher like what you eat you know so what do you think the answer is well i think it's it has to do with i mean the reason kosher is a thing is it in our souls like kosher food helps enhance your soul but doesn't answer why god cares i i don't know like it, it's because because god said so but like that's why we keep kosher we don't have a great reason but I, I think about that sometimes. Like, why does God care what we eat? Or, are you specifically asking about kosher? Or are you asking really about anything? About why does God anything. care about any mitzvah? Yeah, like, why does He care if we keep Shabbos? He's so powerful. Like, what is what is my? How do my actions have an impact? And then, maybe even specifically, we could answer the kosher question. Yeah, sure. Okay. So those, those are those are two questions, and there's there's a few things I want to unpack with those questions because yeah. they're very good questions. Very good questions. Question number one is: Does God care? Okay. And this gets into a sort of parable we use, which can be taken out of hand. So we talk about in Judaism, and this is in the Torah, it'll say, God's anger flares up, or God's disappointed, or God's happy, or, you know. Right. One can sort of envision their whole relationship in Judaism similar to a child with unhealthy parents. Let me explain to you what I mean. Mm -hmm. um, 
healthy parents are people who want to give to a child. So they bring a child onto this world and they give that child. The reason they want that child to succeed is because success is one of the many things they want to give that child. Success is not tied into how they feel about themselves. Now, that's a very high thing to strive for. So if any parent tells you that they're perfect, you already know that not only are they imperfect, they're also a liar. Right. Um, there's a spectrum from healthy to unhealthy that all parents fall. Somewhere between giving just for the sake of giving and giving because of if that child succeeds, that makes me feel like a success and that reflects on me and I live vicariously through my children. Right. We take that and we often translate that onto God, which is a huge mistake, which is, well, you know, for God's chosen people in this world, so if we do good, you know, that makes God happy, like a, you know, unhealthy parent rooting for their kid at a baseball league, you know, right. screaming at the refs and everything like that. But if we do bad, you know, then God's angry and screaming at the refs. No, God is perfect. That is one of the fundamental beliefs in Judaism. God did not create us for what we do for Him. God created us for what we do for ourselves. Mm. Everything God told us to do is ultimately for ourselves. Let's take another piece out of Dar Hashem. Again, another incre it's an incredible book. You should attach a link of the... What's it called? Darach Hashem. I'll, I'll send Dar you a link. Okay. Dar and Darach Hashem. It's in Hebrew, but it has an English version, well translated. I'll, I'll need that. Um, <clears throat> incredible book, and it really answers right. so many of the fundamental. It was written by the Ramchal, um, Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzado, uh, someone from Italy a few hundred years ago. Fascinating, fascinating, incredible, incredible sage, who's, you know, a lot of his teachings are like the core fundamentals of Judaism in terms of who he is, and not only did he have incredible insight, but he was actually able to take complex things and, and organize them in a very deep sense. So, well worth it. He's probably more famous for his other book, Musil Sisharim. But okay. We're not, God created us to do good. Yes. It's to give. Purely to give. That means everything about the way in which God interacts with us is giving. Which obviously brings the next question, so, so why the heck does this world look like it looks like, right? Yeah. Is everything in here seemingly good for us? Is it not struggling? Is it not challenging? And the answer, which again, obviously I'm paraphrasing a very deep subject, which you could pursue your whole life. The answer to that is that somehow all of the challenges of life and all of the pain and suffering that exists in the world and all of the everything of everything is all there for a certain experience that we need to have because it's what's best for us which is namely that we need to earn our place in the world to come, because when we earn it, it's really ours. So therefore, God put us through the challenge of this world. Okay? Mm. I don't do a mitzvah because God needs me to do a mitzvah. I do a mitzvah because God wanted me to get the eternal pleasure of connecting to Him, but He wanted me to earn it. So He gave me the challenge to fight for it. I'm not fighting for God. I'm fighting for me. I'm fighting for God in this world, but it's not because God needs to be in this world. It's because God is giving us the gift of giving us the ability to put him in this world. Wow. That's a very, that's something I haven't heard. I've heard from some other rabbis, like, explain in a similar way that keeping Shabbos, we do that because we need it. And I've heard from some rabbis that say, um, God needs us to connect with him. So that's why it's more yeah, so, so it's who's, who needs what, 
But I think it's, it's so a both, fundamental both belief are. in Judaism. Yeah, yes and no. So it's okay. Uh, it's, oh, rabbis disagree all the time. Yeah. So I don't know which rabbi said what, and you don't have to right. tell me. That's fine. But um, there's something fundamentally and inherently incorrect. Okay. Whenever you say God needs, anytime you start the sentence that way, you're already wrong. Okay. Because one of the fundamental beliefs that we have in Judaism about who God is, is that God is a perfect being. Hmm. Perfect beings don't need anything. That's fair. Okay. So if you, if someone were to ask, what is like, like we're we're humans. This iPad's an iPad. This table's a table. God is. God is God. God is everything. What what, what would your answer be? What is God? No, the answer is I have no freaking clue. Okay. That's <laughs> and okay. we're not supposed to have a freaking clue. Right. Okay. Um, let me explain to you what I mean a little more. Um, we believe that God is the creator and sustainer of the physical world. We exist within a physical world. God is above the physical world. Now, obviously, you can find him and you could feel him in certain senses in the physical world. But all of our feelings, all of our perceptions, all of our interactions are always our physical self interacting with the physical world. This iPad is an iPad. This table is a table. God is not something that we can feel within this physical world. And because of that, and because as humans we only see things in a physical way, one of the core beliefs we have is that we actually will not fully understand them. We're not meant to. We're meant to understand certain things about God. And we can still connect even to something we don't understand. So we're just peeking under the veil a little bit, but we didn't get the full picture? Yeah, and, and the veil indicates that, you, you know, it's not just quantitatively we don't get the full picture, mm-hmm. qualitatively we, get, we don't get the gotcha. full picture. He exists on a plateau that we can't even perceive and understand within our human senses. Would you say that you have a good relationship with God? Good's a hard word. Yeah. Good's a very hard word. Like I'll tell you why. A very strong godly presence or felt something in that sense? See, yes, but I'll tell you why I don't want to use the word good. Okay. And I'm going to focus on that for a second. In any way in which you compare Mm. your godly experiences with somebody else, then it's not a godly experience. Yeah. Because godly experiences are unique and incomparable. So to say, do you have a good connection with God? Which is, by the way, a question that a lot of people think they ask themselves, especially like in the religious world. Like, do you have a good connection with God? Do you not have a good connection with God? Um... Our connection with God is unique to us. You cannot compare one person's to another. It's very, very deep. There's a lot to it. Um, Also, only having good feelings towards God is sort of not really an honest thing. Because if we really believe that God runs everything, and we're not meant to fully understand everything that happens to us. So if you're never angry at God, then you don't understand God. Okay? It's an interesting yeah. thing. You got to be, now, I'm not saying to act on God and being angry at God. God forbid. Um, that is one of the worst sins one could do. To, you know, God forbid blasphemy or anything like that. But right. to say, like, listen, I believe you run the world and this just happened to me and that sucked. Right. Good. You should feel that way. We do have questions. If you don't question God ever, if you don't look in God and say, how could this be? If you look at the Holocaust and don't turn to God and say, what in the world? How could this be? Then, then you're lying to yourself and you're stifling your emotions. And that is a good part of our relationship with God because God did give us experiences that we're not meant to be able to wrap our heads around. And that's fine. And that's good. And that's part of our connection with Him. It doesn't just include answers. 
I would say maybe most of our connection with God is probably questions. Yeah. And do you ask a lot of questions in that case? I like to. I like to believe I do. Um, I guess as a person, just by nature, you know, I was always very sort of question-oriented. Right. Um, I like challenging everything I hear. Some people call me a jerk. You know, <laughs> that's, that might be why, you know, because I, I like to challenge things, and that's, that's good, and that's okay. Um, yeah, you've seen my experience with that as we walked home from shul the other night. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's good, and it's good that you challenge things. Um, if you didn't challenge every, anything, then you'd accept everything. Yeah, then you'd worse. be like everyone else, which, yeah. I mean, it's not good to accept nothing right. because that means you're challenging without the desire for an answer. But it's not good to accept everything because that means you're not challenging. Yeah. We want to be challenging with a desire for truth, not challenging just for the sake of challenging. I think that goes for so much more than just religious studies. Go it goes life. for everything in life. Um, yeah, it goes for everything in life. I recently heard there's a rabbi named Chaim Miller. He's mm -hmm. a Bodnik. Um, actually, he might not even be a rabbi. I think he is, though. But <laughs> he was on a podcast, and he talked. Somebody asked him. He didn't grow up religious, but he, somebody asked him, you know, what helped you kind of find God or see God in the cracks of life? And they basically said um, a rabbi mentor of his told him, keep a journal of all the coincidences that happen. That's incredible. And he... He filled books, like, he constantly. And lately, ever since hearing that, when you're looking for something, you kind of start seeing it everywhere. And I think it's a really good piece of advice for people that maybe, I don't want to say not ha don't have a good relationship because we don't want to compare, but maybe are looking f to find... Yeah, and, and the, pers the pursuit of finding God, just to, to talk more into that, the pursuit of finding God um, is... is really about whether or not you're pursuing it, not where you are in the pursuit. Because some people say, well, I'm closer to God because I believe in God. Yeah, but maybe you never pursued it. Maybe you never thought about it. Maybe someone just told you and you just accepted it. Yeah. Someone else may be questioning whether it really makes sense. So would you say one person believes in God more? Maybe in the quantitative way, but in a deep qualitative way, the very fact that you're actually trying to pursue it makes your finding of God much more meaningful. You know? So I mean... As far as that goes, I, I kind of have, I would say I have a boring story, you know? You could yeah. interview a lot of rabbis, especially who, you know, work in this sort of, I don't like the word industry, but industry that I'm in, which people refer to as Kiruv, which is outreach, you know? Mm -hmm. A lot of them have, like, these incredible stories, you know? I grew up part of a gang, and then I mm -hmm. found God, or I was a, you know, devout atheist until one day, you know? I don't have a good story. It's really boring, okay? Um, born to a religious family, went to religious school, grew up religious, studied Torah my whole life. Um, yeah, that's, that's on the surface. Um, the truth is that when I was in high school specifically, I mean, I would say th hopefully throughout my whole life, when I was in high school specifically, I definitely wanted to challenge it, you know? Um, I would say I was a little bit scared because then I didn't understand. I thought like, well, if I'm questioning God, then maybe I'm further from God than I was a year ago and I wasn't questioning God. And the truth is, that's actually closer because that brings you to something a little bit deeper. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot. There's a lot to discuss about what I thought about, which is why I believe, not just believe, but strongly believe enough to try and, you know, 
help others, talk to others about it, discuss with other people. Um, but one of the main things for me was actually just to see that in our tradition, there was, there's a lot of sages like this, but there's one sage, his name is Ricky Vager, okay? One of the commentaries on the Gemara. There are many commentaries in the Talmud, okay? Yeah. What I liked most about learning his stuff is that most of what he did is he would see a piece of the Talmud, he'd ask in a few words a very profound question, and then most other books would be like, that would be the beginning of like a long thing. He would end Tzarachin. I mean, we have to look into more. I don't know. I don't know the answer right now. And like, the great sage, Rabbi Akiva Eger, always said, and I always heard them like, well, great sage, all this dude did was about problems. Right. <laughs> right? He just asked questions. He didn't give any answers. And the truth is that, that seeing that is actually really what made me interested from a perspective of pursuing truth in Judaism is that we love the question. We see the question as an opportunity to delve more. And the best way to answer a question is to say, not to, not to stifle the opportunity with just trying to give an answer, but to say, wow, this is actually eye-opening. This actually opens us up to discover more. And then you know what happens when you discover more? You just have more questions, but that's great, because that just leads you to discover more. Mm -hmm. And a question is not, if you have a surface sort of tapestry of what you're trying to present, so a question pokes a hole, so it ruins your tapestry. But if we're just digging for diamonds, every hole you poke is just a little closer Dang. to finding. You know, you poke a hole, you find a new spot, you poke more holes. And you just find more and more meaning. So, so to me that, you know, part of what's awesome about being a Jew is that it's this never-ending pursuit.